Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Fall Speaker Series from the Utah Women's Giving Circle in October featured a presentation titled Triaging Resilience in the Midst of Crisis. The speaker was clinical therapist M. Capito. And we talked with her on Access Utah ahead of that presentation. We're going to revisit that conversation today. We'll talk with M. Capito about some experiences from her life, some very painful, which uh, taught her resilience. And uh, she says you don't bounce, bounce back from trauma. So we'll ask her, what do you do? We'll ask her how she defines resilience. We'll give you a hint. She says it's a skill, not a trait. And we'll talk about fear and discomfort and in Capito's uh, resilience road trips. M. Capito is a psychotherapist specializing in resilience, translating more than a decade of research into tangible research strategies. She holds master's degrees in social work and business administration and recently shared some of her work from the TEDx Salt Lake City stage. She's a licensed clinical social worker, yoga teacher, and meditation teacher with a private practice in Salt Lake and uh, Park City. M. Capito, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. Good, good to have you on. Um, I, I want to get into uh, your TED Talk, fascinating TED Talk from TEDx Salt Lake City and um, and, and much else. Talk about resilience, of course. Um, I want to start with a comment that uh, the, I found on your website, which is mcapito.com. And this is a section where you talk about burnout. Um, and uh, well, maybe I could just have you, uh, you have a, a nice analogy. You say uh, burnout is like uh, driving your Jeep and you notice it's on empty. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think a lot of us can relate to that right now. Uh, it's been a chronically stressful year, and we're wired to deal with acute stress physiologically. We go into that fight-or-flight stage, we rally our troops, we tackle the problem, and then we move on. And this year has really been about settling into a lot of discomfort long-term with uh, a lot of unknowns ahead. So this, um, so uh, Done by 40 uh, quotes you, uh, uh, so I quote you here, the small sacrifices of taking a day off, going to bed early, stopping to really eat a meal, or sitting for a few minutes to meditate produce a ridiculous return on investment. And then Done by 40 says, love, love, love this. The pandemic has put a hole in my gas tank. I try to keep it full, but I sure seem to be draining it daily. I need more fuel, yes, but also some repairs, and maybe just not to drive. I wonder what you say about that. There's there's a lot in there, Done by 40 says. Yeah, well, like we'll talk about in the presentation on Thursday, when we think about resilience, oftentimes we think it's just on tap for when we need it, but it really is about fueling up regularly, especially when we are using it um, to a high degree. Sleep is a great example. If we don't get enough sleep, we all know what kind of day we're having the next day. It's, it's at the bottom of the pyramid when we think about this hierarchy um, with mind, body, soul, wellness, right? If you don't get sleep, I don't know about you, but I am a terror the next day. There's no mm-hmm. patience. There's no big picture. It's really just about survival and trying not to take out my decision onto other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. It really is about fueling up every day, which is why I emphasize a resiliency practice. It's not about, you know, whether we're born with it. It's not about doing something once and then suddenly we have that resilience on tap going forward. 
we have to maintain our systems just like we maintain our cars, fueling them up, making sure they're not getting too low. Um, and I've made the mistake uh, so many times of letting my engine, you know, run on a, an extremely low tank of gas and how that causes problems in the immediate and down the road. And so recognizing in the midst of all of this chronic stress that we've been dealing with, our bandwidth just isn't what it is normally. And yet a lot of us have the same expectations of ourselves despite that fact. We aren't really recognizing the reality that we can't do as much as we normally can under certain conditions like this. And so, yeah, pulling back, um, learning to recognize those uh, check engine lights and uh, low tank empty warning lights. <laughs> yeah, that resonates uh, with me. You know, just, just I guess as simply recognizing uh, it's not normal right now, right? And we're, we probably are draining our, our tanks at a faster rate. Just recognizing that. Yeah, and even on a subconscious level, we are dealing with so many unknowns, right? And unknown is a big trigger for fear. Even when we're not really listening to that fear on a high volume, it's in the background. You know, the next thing that comes, there's this connection between, well, what, how much longer can I do this? What will life be like? Is, are things going to go back to normal in 2021? Is this really some anomaly? Or is life, uh, you know, going to be like this for a while to come? And how does that change things? And I think as we head into fall of this year, that's where we're making a bigger shift psychologically. I mean, initially, we all were able to buckle down and say, okay, we can get through this. It's just a crisis. But a crisis that goes on for months and months, potentially years, is something we're usually, we're not as well prepared to manage. I want to loop back to your TED Talk, a fascinating talk, uh, TEDx Salt Lake City. What if you just, uh, you know, uh, tell us about the, the, that story. It, it's a low point in your life, but it, uh, it paid big dividends down the road uh, because of the choices you made. Yeah, it really did. I... Uh, went through a horrific divorce, like so many people do these days, and really a culmination of so many different things in my life that weren't headed in the right direction and needed to be recalibrated. Um, and this is where we talk about like Murphy's Law and, uh, you know, things coming in threes. We tend to recalibrate everything all at once, um, especially in the midst of crisis. And therein lies this huge opportunity to allow these challenging experiences to open us up, to look deeper, ask the hard questions, make the big, hard, scary decisions that allow us to rediscover ourselves in the midst of our current context and then chart a more intelligent path forward where we find, you know, peace and happiness, the those connections with people, the real reasons for being alive in these short lives that we have. And so, yeah, hitting that rock bottom for me was incredibly challenging, and I certainly don't wish it on anyone. But even as a therapist, I knew from all of my years of experience prior to that that it was really about choosing the crisis, you know, switching my mindset from reactivity and fear uh, from that victim mindset toward how can I choose this and turn this into something that allows me to grow and find myself. 
and the experiences after that. In my TEDx talk, I emphasized, you know, the things that worked for me especially was intentional discomfort, was really getting even further outside my comfort zone, but in a way that I was choosing, right? It was symbolic of that mindset shift. Um, And some of the things I did were, you know, really enjoyable. I think that's the beauty of this that I learned in the process is that it doesn't have to be, discomfort isn't necessarily torture. We don't want it to be torturous, but choosing to step outside your comfort zone on what I call a resiliency field trip should be fun and enjoyable too, because we're creating this positive correlation with discomfort such that when unexpected discomfort arises in our lives, like with the pandemic, the earthquakes, the social unrest, the election, uh, wearing masks forever, you know, we're able to see the opportunity and shift faster into that heroic mindset that gives us power rather than that victim mindset. So you, uh, you decided to go to Puerto Rico, I think was your (laughs) first field trip, right? It was, and I wish we could travel more easily right now because there's just such a good opportunity with all the flight deals and everything to to take advantage of that type of crazy uh, escape. And that's not all I thought it was at first was just a crazy escape. I was like, this is just me being, you know, uh, odd and indulgent, going on an eat, pray, love adventure, romanticizing that, but Following that intuition was really what kicked off the research that came after that of recognizing that it wasn't just a temporary boost in resilience that I experienced from that and that it wasn't limited to travel. I didn't boost my travel resilience. I came home and all of that discomfort of going on a trip by myself going to a country uh, where I didn't speak the primary language and being in the places inside that country that were um, local and rural, you know, not the touristy areas, doing scuba diving for the first time, um, kayaking in the ocean for the first time at night with a very shady tour company. (laughs) There was so much discomfort. And it's certainly not to suggest that we should put ourselves in dangerous situations But at no point did I feel like I was in danger during that experience, fortunately. And when I came home, it was clear that all of that resilience, which was so fun in accumulating in the moment, immediately and directly transferred to every other area of my life, including, you know, navigating the legal challenges I was facing, navigating having my children half of the time, um, going through career shifts. Um, having difficult conversations, um, reckoning with childhood trauma. It was, that was what really sealed the deal on my emphasis on, on building resilience because I realized that it was the keystone. It's really, truly the foundation of everything we're seeking in life is we have to have that well of resilience to do the hard thing. Now, it seems, it, it, I guess it can seem counterintuitive. It seemed initially to me to be counterintuitive that you... Uh, you know, going through trauma, maybe you'd uh, be better off wrapping yourself in a cocoon and, um, you know, uh, not seeking out discomfort. Uh, And fear is wrapped up in this, too. I wonder if you could talk about that. Certainly. And I would say, I think there are times where intuition does call us to pull inward and to, um, you know, retreat from all of the uh, discomfort of the external world so that we can lean into the discomfort internally. 
And so it's a different kind of resiliency field trip. Um, Sometimes in those moments, I like to encourage clients or within myself do like art therapy type things like collaging or yard work. Whatever you feel called to is often a really good clue as to what could be healing for you and and still allow you to lean into that discomfort, whether you are alone, which is great when we're socially isolated. Um, you know, when we're cocooning, we can still be in discomfort. There's a big difference between cocooning with Netflix and cocooning with, like, journals and books and, uh, you know, really deep thinking about what we're going through. Um, and and that's a, a very appropriate response sometimes, too. I've certainly had periods where Puerto Rico would not have been the best choice in that moment. Fear really is a big part of this conversation. And, and I think that's why resilience is such an urgent topic to address right now. We've had this cultural shift for many years now because of our access to 24-7 news outlets, the fact that we, you know, we seek out a sense of control over our world. And so there is this subconscious desire to know everything that's going on because there, therein lies the delusion that if we know we can somehow prevent the catastrophe in our own lives, we can insulate ourselves with the knowledge, but feeding ourselves all of that negative information that we get through the news really amps up that sense of fear and puts us into a sympathetic state physiologically where we have this drip feed of cortisol and adrenaline that our bodies simply aren't designed for. We're designed to run away from the tiger and then go back to equilibrium where we can rest, digest, and heal. And so when we're stuck in this like mild sympathetic fear state, which is so magnified right now in this particular year, we really can't heal and we deal with a lot of anxiety, depression, insomnia, uh, appetite changes, so many physiological ripple effects from that constant stress of, of so much fear that, you know, we, as therapists, right, we see so, such an increase in people feeling hopeless and disempowered wondering if their life will ever get better and um, just a really scary uh, ripple effect from that is suicide and uh, just chronic depression that removes the potential of so many people that could come together that could um, feel differently and a lot of that is just recognizing that we feed ourselves with fear and it's it takes a very conscious and intentional decision in our current state of affairs where we have 24-7 access to fear to reduce that diet um, and shift towards more hopeful, optimistic information that empowers us. Let's take a break now. We'll come back with more, much more. We're spending the hour with M. Capito, um, who is a uh, psychotherapist specializing in resilience. Uh, she's also a licensed clinical social worker, yoga teacher, meditation teacher. She has a private practice in Salt Lake City and Park City. And we'll have more following this.
Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering music, dining, nightlife, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. Growing up in a military family, Major Rob Levine was taught to face problems head on. You've got to take care of the issue. Don't run away from something ever. So when he discovered that the Army was failing to protect kids living on military bases from abuse, he took action. It wasn't right. It wasn't right to our military family members that wanted some semblance of justice. On the next Reveal. Monday at 11 on Utah Public Radio. I'm Senator Dan McKay. I want you to join us for both sides of the aisle from KCPW here on Utah Public Radio. A weekly debate over politics, policy, and current issues where I give the truth, Shireen says something, and Natalie tries to moderate the middle. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing you, the residents of the state. Don't miss the conversation. Tune in Thursday mornings, 10 o'clock, here at Utah Public Radio. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast last October. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're talking uh, with therapist uh, M. Capito. So, uh, M. Capito, you said something interesting in your uh, TED Talk. By the way, uh, it's not only a horrible divorce, but as you start the talk, you are you set the scene, you're, you're in jail. It turned out to be a mistaken arrest, but, uh, well, that, that is a low point. Um, but uh, you say, we don't bounce back from trauma. Don't bounce back from trauma. What what do we do? That's a great question because when we think about resilience, we tend to define it as bouncing back. But everything we go through, adversity transforms us. And so there, the goal isn't to bounce back. It's to allow those challenging experiences to do what they're meant to do, which is test our assumptions and our beliefs, open us up to... Uh, reflection and growth and change so that we can become who we're meant to become. Adversity is really an inevitable part of life and a really beautiful part because it creates the contrast that allows us to appreciate ourselves, the people in our lives, the, the beautiful days, the beautiful things, even in the midst of chaos. Um, and that's really where resilience comes down to. It allows us that space to see both sides of the coin to see that even in the midst of a crisis, we have so many silver linings that we can notice. And that slight shift is, it makes all of the difference. If we are reactive and upset every time a challenge comes into our life, then we're simply waiting for the next difficulty all the time. And it's a very negative, uh, draining way to exist. When we make those subtle shifts and build resilience, uh, and there's so many ways to do that, that, you know, we can monitor for those check engine lights and invest in fuel that keeps us topped off, um, then in the, even in the midst of a major crisis, we can find humor and gratitude and uh, notice the support that's all around us, notice the resources we have. It, you know, it goes from like a flat tire being the worst day ever to being an opportunity to learn 
for once to change a tire and feeling so proud and empowered as part of that and then being able to pay that forward, um, which was, you know, in this example of one of the first things that happened to me after I got back from Puerto Rico was simply a flat tire and getting up. I was actually at a Utah Women's Giving Circle meeting when that happened um, back in 2016 and uh, you know, getting up the courage and the inspiration to go change the tire myself, I really directly attribute to the challenging experiences being outside my discomfort, outside of my comfort zone in Puerto Rico. Um, and so just a great example of those dominoes falling, the, the ripple effect of small, even fun challenges that baby step out our window of tolerance for discomfort changes our entire experience of daily life. What if you talk a little bit about what, uh, what uh, your journey? Um, so you go to Puerto Rico, uh, you, you have this, you know, this incredible experience, and you notice when you come back that, you know, you'd, uh, something's different, right? You, you, I guess you define it later, or maybe at the time that uh, increased resilience. Um, what, what were the next steps? What, uh, what did you do next? At first, I figured it was just an afterglow, and so it took a couple of months for me to start to put the constellation together, to recognize that the trip to Puerto Rico had a direct impact on all of the experiences after that, um, from the flat tire to the next flat tire, which happened uh, only a few months later. The universe was sending me a very clear message, (laughs) Um, to just how I was handling and responding very differently to daily stressors, right? You know, when I notice someone cutting me off in traffic, if my direct reaction is anger, I know my resilience tank is low. Um, And I started to have that awareness and to notice these pieces coming together. So the first thing I focused on that year was intentional discomfort. Um, I didn't have the term resiliency field trip at the time. That evolved over the next year or two. But I kept putting myself in the way of discomfort for that next year. And I, I called it like my renaissance period. And it's not something unique to me. So many people can relate to this. We just haven't had a common language around why and how important it is. Um, that, that intuitive call to do things that are outside your character, especially after crisis. Divorce is a great example. When you look at people in the year following a divorce, Many of them will engage in wild adventures. They will travel. They will do things that aren't normal to them. Um, I took a glass blowing class. Um, that's not something I was ever interested in. I had never thought about scuba diving prior to that trip. Um, it was really about just honoring this intuitive call to discomfort to be in the a space of learning and growth. And so intentional discomfort was the first thing that helped me navigate that. And then from there, I started to recognize an opportunity for mindfulness. Um, Again, just by saying yes to the opportunity, meditation was always something that I considered very uncomfortable. Um, But that appeared in that first year, an opportunity to learn from a really fabulous meditation teacher. um, And, I said yes, because that was, that was my credo, was say yes to discomfort. And so mindfulness really became a huge part of my practice from there. Um, and, and then there was this 
everything built on to itself, meaning um, recognizing and coming back to the work of Viktor Frankl um, with his wonderful book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is such a short, beautiful read right now during the pandemic. Um, to recognize what was truly important to me in the midst of my world burning down. That's one of the beautiful pieces of adversity is that it kicks you off course. You get off the super freeway of your momentum and you have the opportunity to see where that trajectory is taking you and then to recognize what is actually important. You really are stripped down to just the basics in the midst of this type of stress of the pandemic and and everything going on to see that it comes down to people and everyday experiences, being present in the moment. Uh, you know, my morning coffee is one of my favorite things in the world now. And it was something that I took for granted before. It was just a, a means to the end. And there's so much opportunity in life to find joy in the small moments and mindfulness was the key to that and so learning to meditate and then becoming a meditation teacher yoga was a big part of my journey recognizing that I had to take care of my physical self in order for my spiritual and emotional self to feel well Um, and so it was really over the course of three to four years that the pieces came together um, and I was testing this out as I went with my clients, um, learning from other amazing teachers in the world to pull these together. And it eventually resulted in this kind of six-factor hierarchy of resilience that really was just a selfish pursuit of finding my way to wellness and resilience in my own life. And I want to get into the hierarchy uh, of resilience. Um, before I do, just a couple things. One, um, you know, what you were just talking about, it does seem that we're, a lot of times we're in autopilot, right? We're in routine and kind of a mindless uh, routine. And, and so I suppose hard times can, you know, the silver lining is it kicks us out of that or can tend to do that. Uh, or at least you're mindful of it, and I guess it becomes a blessing, right? Your morning coffee, you 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 give an example. You know, previous times maybe it would have been automatic and you didn't really notice it. Now it's a you know it's it's a great thing in your life. Exactly. I really think we never know when our time is up, but even if we have a hundred years, the point is to be present right now. There's nothing behind us and nothing in front of us that we can control or benefit from in the moment. And yet there's so much in the moment that can create meaning and learning and joy, peace, but it requires learning how to do that, right? Our society doesn't train us to be in the moment. It really trains us to get stuck in the past, um, to swallow emotions and really uh, never deal with trauma because it's scary, it's uncomfortable. And so we really do get stuck in the past in many ways while barreling into the future on this hedonic treadmill chasing happiness. I will be happier when I have more money, when I have the promotion, when I am finally in the career I'm supposed to be in, when I marry the right person. You know, there's always something waiting in order for us to be happy. And one of my favorite um, people, Byron Katie, asks, like, you can be happy right now, so why not? 
Uh, and there is so much truth to that. Just a cup of coffee, which, you know, when you make it at home, it costs maybe 25 cents and takes maybe five minutes, can turn into a real ritual of joy and gratitude and celebrating life such that your entire day plays out differently. And you get to be happy now, right now. I really think resilience is a practice of liberating happiness from happy conditions. Uh, before we get into the hierarchy of uh, resilience, um, I want to uh, talk about what <laughs> this. Uh, I guess your one of your first uh, kind of formal "quote unquote" resilience uh, 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 road trips uh, was go skeet shooting. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was our first group resiliency field trip. This was an ex- a total experiment at this point because I was in the midst of really researching what was going on behind the scenes with my own experience and had seen enough to say, okay, let's give this a shot with a group. Let's put a group of people who are really uncomfortable with guns and shooting into a setting where we have the support of one another and instructors, and it's all wrapped up in this framing of a resiliency field trip rather than, you know, just going out and shooting. So we gave it context and a setting and brought women out, mostly women is what signed up. Um, And I will tell you about 90% of the women in that first um, skeet shooting outing had never touched a gun. And a lot of them were really kind of anti-gun. There was a very strong sense of their cultural upbringing to be afraid of guns, to be like afraid of even like you know, dabbling in this area of shooting a gun, even for pleasure or sport. And so it was really outside of their context. Um, and yet they all leaned in, they signed up, we, we went and did this adventure together. Um, and it was really incredible what happened afterwards. And just within, I think, about four to five days, I had the first person reach out to me from that experience. And if memory serves me right, I think we had around 15 to 20 people at that first one. Um, and she, this first woman reached out in less than a week to say that she had broken up with a long-term boyfriend um, and just had immediate clarity after the skeet shoot to do so. And I was a little worried that, you know, oh, well, you know, the goal isn't to, like, create any kind of destruction in our lives. But in feeling out and having this conversation with her, it was clear she had been really unhappy in the relationship for a long time, which was not good for her partner either, certainly not good for her. Um, But she was scared. She thought, I'll never find anyone better. You know, he's good enough. It's good enough. I can do this for the rest of my life. Um, But really, it had led to a lot of uh, symptoms of depression, of feeling less worthy. It had fed into some childhood beliefs about who she was and what her worth was. And so this, you know, really wild exit from her normal way of being, going out and picking up some guns, which, you know, skeet shooting, it really is, a, it's an uncomfortable experience physiologically <laughs> because you're dealing with shotguns, which are pretty, they have a lot of kick. It's, it's a very uncomfortable experience. Um, and doing that allowed her to see a bigger picture perspective on herself and her potential. 
And so she left that relationship, engaged in a lot of self-work, and that was years ago. Now I'm still in touch with her, and she's a great example of she's gone on to also change her career. Um, She's in a wonderful relationship now with someone that she is wildly in love with. Um, And I would assume her partner was also set free to find his true partner. And so it, it comes back to fear holding us back, especially on a, uh, like, insidious subconscious level where we sacrifice so much potential in our lives for good enough um, simply because of fear. It, it stifles us. It makes our lives so much smaller than they could be. And there were several other stories that came out of that first group as well that were very similar, people who made significant changes or had really difficult conversations or checked themselves in for, you know, about a therapy to really address some childhood stuff that was holding them back. And that, of course, mirrored my own experience with discomfort is when we do really put ourselves outside of that zone, our ability and perspective expands and we go back to that limitless possibility that we had when we were kids before we were socialized into fear. Let's take another break. When we come back, we uh, will talk about the hierarchy of resilience and uh, maybe tell another couple of stories. Uh, you On, on the website, mcapito.com, uh, you you talk about the ice bath, which is another another way to get discomfort, right? <laughs> um, uh, we'll have much more uh, following this break. I'm Tim Light, and we have sort of a unique episode planned for you. We're doing a recap of season one. So we chose four episodes that we wanted to highlight. All right, let's jump in. There's a lot of feelings that come up for me. I think the biggest feeling is probably fear. Stigma is just based around like Native Americans not being functional. And, and I was like, this is going to happen to me. You hear or sort of levels of addiction differ by race. It's not race that's causing that. It's racism. It's the way we treat communities of color and have mistreated communities of color. And so it's not because of some sort of internal genetic differences between us. It's because of the social conditions around us. There's just something about addiction treatment. There's something about us identifying as addicts and then identifying later as people in recovery that gives us this really strong personal like buy-in to to holding on to these boxes and these stigmas and such. And I think most of the time it comes from a good place and sometimes it just comes out of ignorance. Debunked, the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices with storytelling to challenge the stereotypes and debunk the myths about harm reduction, opioids, and substance use disorders. My name is Sally Keller. I listen to Utah Public Radio through my smartphone app as I'm riding my exercise bike. Set sail for the Caribbean with us on the next Putumayo World Music Hour. We'll visit Kingston Harbor and Montego Bay and dance to the pulsing tropical beat of reggae and other island styles. I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for Jamaica, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Thursday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast last October. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We reached our last segment with M. Capito. 
Uh, she is a licensed therapist and uh, in uh, practice in Salt Lake City and Park City. Uh, also yoga teacher and meditation teacher. And uh, she specializes in resilience. And MCapito's website is mcapito.com. So uh, a way of getting into this hierarchy of resilience, uh, how do you define resilience? That's a great question. I really lean on the work of Viktor Frankl, who did so much in this area, um, to see resilience as the space between what happens to us and how we respond. So as you mentioned before, most of the time we're running through life pretty mindless, and, and so that space is really, really small. Basically, whatever happens, we have a knee-jerk reaction the problem with that is that knee-jerk reactivity is based on fear. We're in a threat response mode, and so everything triggers fear. So our spouse says something sideways to us, and we respond in kind, creating a fight that didn't need to happen. Someone cuts us off in traffic, and we flip them off in front of our children, creating that awful guilt-ridden moment. Uh, you know, our fear-based responses aren't who we really are. And living that kind of life gets really depressing because we are existing in a way that sabotages our relationships, our own happiness, our sense of well-being and joy in the world. And so building up that space is one of the most critical things. Like I said, I really believe this is the foundation of everything we're seeking, whether it's just feeling a greater sense of optimism, peace, and joy in our lives or tackling a huge career shift or writing that book that you've had this goal to do or losing weight, it, it doesn't really matter what the challenge is. Every challenge is fraught with the unknown. And so building up that space to breathe, even just a breath between what's happening in our lives and how we choose to respond changes the entire game. It gives us the opportunity to tap into our authentic self to say, okay, my spouse is having a rough day. Maybe I should ask about that or give them space. This isn't about me. Or maybe that person that cut me off in traffic is, like we like to say, running to the hospital. How much different does my life go? How does my mood shift, my way of dealing with life when I have that space to assume the best, to see a bigger picture and choose my response? And so it's really about building up that little space, that window of tolerance. Uh, before we jump into the hierarchy, we have an email. I want to get into this and get your response to this, M. Capito. Uh, this is from Ted. Uh, the uh, title of uh, the headline on the email is Resilience and Gender. Uh, Ted says, thanks so much for this episode. I have a familiarity with the, with, with the Women's Giving Circle and Ms. Capito. I'm listening to the program this morning and appreciating the amazing opportunities that she provides to the incredible women around her. She's truly an asset to our wonderful state. I write today because as a man, I feel that my resilience should be a given. And honestly, this year has drained me. I would like to ask Ms. Capito if uh, she has any recommendations or resources for individuals like myself. Well, a uh, huge thank you to Ted for such positive comments. I appreciate that e enormously. Uh, and a really great question. I do think there are so many assumptions around gender, around how we're supposed to show up in the world, and men are supposed to be strong and protective and in control. And I think those shoulds, right, the 
times that we should on ourselves really lead to a sense of inadequacy and shame rather than the resourcefulness and grit that we're hoping for. A lot of this comes down to looking at the beliefs we have taken on through socialization and questioning those. What a great time right now to question that, to see that men and women both need to be able to refuel. We all need self-care, whether it's bubble baths or (laughs) working on a project in the garage or gardening, reading a good book, getting sleep. We all physiologically need to refuel in order to show up in our lives. And, And I think the same is true. I work predominantly with women and there's a motherhood assumption of how we're supposed to show up. And and that gets in the way of actually taking care of ourselves. We try to take care of everyone else before we fill our own tank. And of course we, we can't fill others cups before we fill our own. So recognizing these hidden scripts, these beliefs that undermine our decisions is a really beautiful first step to say, I don't need to listen to that belief anymore. And I can start to notice when it's getting in my way and instead act differently based on uh, a deeper truth for me, which is I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to feel like I'm actually strong and present in the moment. Well, thanks for that email, Ted. Appreciate that. Uh, you can uh, email us as well uh, with your question or comment, uh, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We have uh, licensed therapist M. Capito, who's giving the next presentation in the fall speaker series from the Utah Women's Giving Circle. That is Thursday at noon. It's on resilience, and you can join M. Capito there. It's uh, virtual and free. Uh, you do need to register by going to utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Click on events. Uh, So what would you like to say briefly about the uh, hierarchy of resilience? I think the the most impactful piece of this for myself and often for my clients is uh, really triaging. When we are in the state of reactivity, which we start to notice more and more as we do this work, right? I know when I've snapped at my kids, I, my resilience tank is low. And so triaging that down to what I need to do. So much of our inner dialogue is to simply not make those mistakes. And really, it's about resourcing. Uh, if your resilience tank is low, you're going to be impatient. You're going to be fear-based. You're going to be a bear with your significant other. And so simply accepting that reality and refueling where you need to is, is all you need to do to get back to who you truly are rather than shaming and guilting yourself over how you react when you aren't resilient. One of the biggest pieces of that when we are triaging is to look at the mind-body-soul piece of the puzzle, which is at the very foundation of the pyramid. And if we think about this like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's hard to address the upper levels without that base. And so that piece of mind, body, soul, like how did you sleep last night? Do you need more sleep, more rest? Are you sleeping well? That's the biggest one that has been getting in the way. And you would think during this social isolation period, we'd all be sleeping better, but truly anxiety has been kicked up a notch. And most of the people I interact with 
have been struggling to sleep well and have been staying up really late, um, often trolling news sites and reading headlines or on social media, really consuming all of that negative, anxious energy, which, of course, then when they finally do turn out the lights at 1 or 2 a.m., they can't sleep. And so sleep has really gotten away from a lot of us in the midst of this and can pay off in huge dividends when you correct that. And it can take some diligence and some time to get that back in check, but there are so many resources out there. There's no reason to be hopeless about sleep or to accept bad sleep. It really will completely drain you of any resilience or any ability to be yourself in the midst of your day. Um, and the other pieces, of course, are diet and exercise. A lot of people's exercise routines have been thrown off. It's easy to put it off till tomorrow when we're all socially isolating or when gyms are kind of scary places to go. Um, but making sure that we're moving, sleeping, fueling our body nutritionally with what it actually needs rather than junk. Um, these pieces really come together to give us the opportunity to be resilient. And I emphasize soul in that. I think in our culture, we've let go of a notion of soul from a broad definition. It's either religion or not. Um, but while some of us get a lot of spiritual feeding from religion, that's not the only source. For me, it's nature, right? Going out into nature on a weekly basis is my way of connecting and feeling part of something so much bigger than myself. And there's always a way to tap into that. It's finding that ritual for you. And so that baseline of the pyramid, I think, is what I want to emphasize the most. Is Most people that show up on my couch in therapy, there's a big missing piece there. And once they address that, they kind of fly on their own and take care of the other higher-level problems because they're back in their own self, in their own inherent strength. Um, and you can find the rest of that hierarchy of resilience at the website, mcapito.com. And uh, I believe this will be the, the focus of your talk, right, on Thursday. Uh, so people can come and, and uh, uh, virtually uh, come and, and participate. Um, and again, you register for that, which is Thursday at noon at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Uh, I wanted to have you talk a little bit about community. Um, I found a quote, and this is in an article from visittoutah.com about uh, resilience road trips. I'll just read this. This is M. Capito. I find there is much to learn from tight-knit communities that truly rely on one another. There's an awareness that we can learn from and bring to our relationships within larger cities where things can feel less connected. Uh, so we can learn from tight-knit communities. Yeah, the second factor right above mind, body, soul, wellness on the hierarchy is belonging. And for so many of us in this cultural, modern state that we're in where we're very mobile. We, um, a lot of us leave our families pretty early and we don't have tight-knit family rituals. Um, we are in the midst of large cities where we might not know our neighbors. We kind of get to a state of isolation anyway, and then you bring in this whole social isolation on top of it from the pandemic, and a lot of us are very depleted from that sense of belonging. And um, so really, I emphasize with belonging two aspects. One is our wholehearted allies. And I call them that to differentiate because we often glom all of our friends and family into just friends and family. But there's this special category of people 
in our lives. And there's usually only two or three of them who will show up for us unconditionally, which means without judgment, right? They're the people that will bail you out of jail if you end up in my shoes or show up in the middle of the night to help you change the tire on the side of the freeway. They will be there for you no matter what. And we all need a couple of those people in our lives. And so recognizing who those people are and investing heavily in those relationships is a really critical piece of feeling a sense of safety and belonging. Truly, those people are our safety net when crisis hits. They allow us to move through without all of the complications that often turn into PTSD. Belonging is really critical in the midst of a crisis. Um, And then the other piece besides wholehearted allies is our greater sense of community, which really comes down to choosing what that community looks like, being more intentional about it rather than mindlessly moving through life without looking at that. It's our extended family, perhaps, uh, perhaps your church, your school, your colleagues, uh, your bowling league. It could be any tribe that you choose. But leaning into a tribe or two and really investing and contributing, the research shows we actually get more for our health, our wellness, our mental health from contribution. So when we give back, that's where we get the most benefit. It could be as simple as a place to start of walking around the neighborhood and picking up trash rather than figuring someone else will do it. it. it simply boosts our well-being to contribute. Going on a favorite trail and taking care of it, um, really offering yourself into the people who could really use some connection right now. There's a lot of opportunities to connect virtually with people who are in uh, like elderly situations where they're very isolated. They might not have family that can visit or can see them very frequently. Um, you know, there's often people in our own family tree that we really haven't thought of that are isolated and we can reach out to in creative ways. And it's a reciprocal act that boosts us even more than it helps the other person. Well, we reached the end of our time. Uh, very interesting um, and very impactful. Uh, and M. Capito's uh, website is mcapito.com. Well, M. Capito, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. It was a pleasure. I am Dr. Susan Madsen, Director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. According to the CDC, Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACEs, are potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood or adolescence. From 1995 to 1997, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study was conducted at Kaiser Permanente, looking at how abuse, neglect, and household challenges in the first 18 years of a child's life have lasting impacts on them. Of the over 17,000 adults surveyed through the 25 states, 61% reported they had experienced at least one type of adverse childhood experience, and nearly one in six had experienced four or more ACEs. ACEs can create lasting negative effects on health, well-being, and opportunities. They can increase the risks of injury, sexually transmitted infections, poor mental health, maternal and childhood health problems, involvement in sex trafficking, and a wide variety of chronic diseases, including cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and suicide. Luckily, being aware of ACEs 
will help individuals seek help in overcoming their own difficult childhood experiences and find help to improve their current situation for their own children. Being aware builds our resilience. As a community, we have an opportunity to create safe, stable environments and situations for all children and families. We can start by being aware of the 10 ACEs, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, and various forms of household dysfunction, including mental illness, domestic violence, divorce, substance abuse, or having an incarcerated relative. If you or families in your community are struggling with any of these conditions, commit to finding resources. By seeking outside support, families can overcome the effects of ACEs and become more resilient together. This tip is brought to you by UPR's Project Resilience. To learn more about the project and explore more resiliency tips, visit upr.org. From our community calendar, the Family Place in Logan will host trauma-sensitive yoga for ages 12 to 17 every Monday from 5 to 6 p.m. through April 19th. Registration is required, empowering you to reconnect and be present. For ages 12 to 17, contact Michelle at 435-752-8880 or email counseling at thefamilyplaceutah.org if you would like to participate. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org and on the UPR app. Thank you to everyone who donated last week to Utah Public Radio during our spring member drive. We have not quite reached our $50,000 goal, so if you didn't get a chance to make your donation, you can give now at upr.org. And thank you. The TED Radio Hour is coming up next, followed by Reveal at 11 o'clock and BBC programming beginning at noon. <laughs>